human sacrifice is perhaps a pre-Christian practice we never stopped doing. By sacrifice here, I just mean that we sacralize our violence against humans in some form or other. When Christianity came to Northern Europe, sacrifices actually didn't stop. In the Christian age, criminals were hanged, typically at a gallows hill or raven's hill close to a church. This church may, might, may have been a sacred site in the pre-Christian religion. A place where people would have been hanged, also in, in heathen times. Christian executions were actual, actually ritual processes. Typically, a person to be executed would become an embodiment of a Christian cosmological logic, a symbol of the fallen state of humanity. Much in a similar way as uh, sacrifices have traditionally been identified with the deity that is receiving the sacrifice. There's also a distinctly heathen flavor to the idea that noblemen were beheaded. They were warriors and should be killed with a weapon where commoners were hanged. It's very possible that pre-Christian sacrifices could have also targeted criminals and thereby existed in this gray zone between a human sacrifice and an execution. Exactly that is reported from the Celtic areas, and it would give meaning to the sacrifice as it would simultaneously be the deity receiving the life, but also it would be the deity exerting an agency, protecting and upholding the social order by killing people who threaten the social order, a criminal, right? And this is speculative. I'm just saying in this rather brutal legal system, it would have made a lot of sense to uh, to operate in this uh, this gray zone area or continuum between human sacrifice and execution, which indeed you is reported from the Celtic areas. But I actually think that we still sacrifice humans in a sense. If we understand sacralizing human-on-human uh, -human violence as a sacrifice. When we engage all these repugnant and idiotic wars that serve to line the pockets of investment oligarch billionaires, then we frame this violence in sacralization to the new gods. And I don't mean the new gods in uh, the sense that the, the British author Neil Gaiman talk about the new gods in his uh, book, American Gods. Um, I actually think that Gaiman kind of misunderstood the nature of the new gods. Uh, he did have the intuition that new gods are there, uh, and I think these new gods are less subjective than the old. He has this idea that the new gods are uh, Mr. World and Mr. Technology, and, uh, and I just think he misreads it, uh, and that new gods are not media and uh, technology boy and Mr. World, for instance, uh, they are freedom and nationalism and uh, uh, solidarity and these kind of ideals that drive people in modernity. But they do have agency. So uh, examples of new gods are freedom, democracy, and so on. Progress, right? 
You can even outline sometimes the family relation between the pantheon of new gods. Progress, for instance, is perhaps the father of the sibling's manifest destiny, which is the American call to colonize, uh, and uh, la mission civilisatrice, the French call to colonize. The important god nation has children such as Russia or the white race and uh, the, the black race, by the way, and many others. When we participate, for instance, in these wars, then we see our media spaces overflow with hymns to these agented concepts, these new gods that strive to animate these bloodbaths with meaning. But there's a particular kind of contemporary sacralizing which also make, makes the specific individual violence invisible. And that's very characteristically contemporary. That's characteristic of our time. But there are also similarities. We sacralize it to freedom when we attack Iraq in order to steal fossil fuel resources. And this is rather comparable to when some Vikings are uh, praising Odin in order to attack England and steal somebody's land and silver in the 9th century. The sacralization of violence is similar. The battlefield becomes a sacrificial offering to Odin or in Iraq to freedom. And of course, it is typically elites who are lead singing these hymns while they are enriching themselves, of course. Now, the reason that we still sacralize human on human violence in these contemporary wars by dedicating this violence to uh, agents such as freedom or democracy or indeed to the greatness of Russia is paradoxically respect for human life. Paradoxically. It is as if capitalism has not succeeded in erasing our uh, spark of respect for human life. We have zero respect for the life of a chicken. Humanity kills around 2,000 chickens per second. Denmark, a state of 6 million humans, kill around 30 million pigs annually. Our violence towards uh, non-humans is absolutely gargantuan, but we don't sacralize it. Sometimes there may be some imam who's standing in a corner of some hall with industrial meat production, you know, shooting off the remnants of a religious honoring of or respect for the, the kill which is being done there to, to create food for humans. Uh, but it's extremely rudimentary if you compare this to a proper sacrifice uh, or an animist hunting ritual respecting the death of that animal that is giving life to humans. We have completely ceased to honor the deaths of the beings that give us life by becoming our food. We don't dance around the rye goddess and we don't observe all those taboos and all those right behaviors that used to go into the very serious business it is to kill a pig. So this is not because my project here is to preach vegetarianism. Uh, I, I do believe that you can indeed eat meat as an animist. Uh, I do it myself. Uh, I, I just want to make the point that I think we ought to be very aware of these sacralizations and the role they play both when they're there and when they're absent. Because these grand public making invisible sacralizations of human violence, they do serve to legitimize it. And in a weirdly mirroring way, I think the absence of sacralizations of those deaths that feed us and give us life, I believe that serves to uphold a consumerist abuse relation to those beings. 
I want to tell you a little story. Um, I, I went up to Northern Satmi and hung out a bit with a guy called Jungle Swani, a Sami guy who grew up as a non-nationalized reindeer herder in a no-road country called uh, Katuoma on, on the border between what is today Norway and Sweden. Uh, by the way, he did a finfara and went to South America to learn shamanism, to recover contemporary shamanism. But anyway, uh, for him, killing animals to be able to eat is just such a basic condition to life. But then Jungle told me this story that totally stuck with me. He had met some um, other Sami reindeer producers who were not applying the traditional way of butchering a reindeer, where there's not an ounce of the animal that's not used. For these people, reindeer production had moved in the direction of becoming an industrial meat production. And Jungle, he told me that, that he felt such a deep sadness as if he wanted to die when, when he saw that complete use of this animal had, had sort of or was falling into oblivion. We're talking about a guy for whom slaughtering a reindeer with a knife is a very normal thing. He's done it since he was a boy. You know? He's an Arctic hunter who has shot bears and lived off the land. But just the fact of somebody not respecting uh, the reindeer by using every single ounce of it, that just strikes him like a hammer. He said he wanted to die. This is an animist take on violence. And violence is, uh, is, is probably an aspect of life that cannot be entirely avoided. But in my view, sacralization should and can serve as an honoring and respect for life of the victim and thereby it would contribute to controlling the excess of violence, both violence on humans and on non-humans. And I think this is why invisibility plays such an, import, an important role in contemporary sacralization of large-scale violence, violence on humans. We cannot feel affronted by large-scale violence uh, on humans if we see it literally. When these murderous wars, they are shrouded in this particular current invisibility sacralizing, you know, where they're publicly sanctified to democracy and freedom in that particular way where, where the, 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 the physical concrete violence is being made invisible, then that supports these wars in, in continuing. And I want to give you an example of this, and this is not a pretty example, so stop the video if you don't want to hear me talk about that violence that our states and our media industry strives to uphold uh, by making it invisible. This Danish soldier here, he was photographed in Afghanistan back in 2009 when a Danish documentary movie team had somehow managed to bypass the censorship of the official propaganda system and actually gotten into Afghanistan and made a documentary movie, Armadillo, about what was going on in there. And this is the moment where this young man has just realized that a grenade that he has just launched, has torn to pieces the body of a nine-year-old girl. This is a human who went to war without having a deep realization of what violence is. I don't know if you can have the realization that he's having in this moment before, before actually being there, but this is certainly him having just faced his own violence. I mean, look at this face. 
I wonder if that young man ever came fully back from the precipice that he just fell into there. Notice, by the way, that I'm not showing you the violence. I'm not showing you the torn-off arm of that little girl clutching her doll, her head with half her face ripped off, or her mother screaming in unspeakable horror and agony from the deepest recesses of her soul. That is violence. So please don't idealize it. And don't be very careful making it invisible. So this movie, Armadillo from 2010, it showed these young soldiers in action. It showed them fighting. They were killing the enemy. It didn't even actually show the killing, the violence. But there was a very strong reaction in, in Denmark. Now, we had followed these, these soldiers into a live firefight and after they, they, they came out of that firefight, they were clapping each other's hands and they were saying like, whoa, we killed those guys. Wow, that was crazy shit. And that was what the public reaction focused on. That 22-year-old guys who are thrown into that just came out of that situation. And then they came out and they didn't speak about it in a courteous way. It was as if the public was so stunned by the fact that war is violence, that war is young men hurting each other, that the public sort of had to lash out at something. And then it was the manners of, of these youngsters who had just survived a firefight. I think that reaction showed something. It showed that these young soldiers there, they broke the public sacralization and invisibility of violence. That was just violence. They just showed it. And as opposed to the public discourse that is surrounding it in all these kind of hymns about democracy and freedom all the time, they spoke about it as violence, as violent young men. They were like, man, we just executed those motherfuckers. I felt so bad for these young men who got targeted by public uh, condemnation. They did nothing that soldiers aren't supposed to do. But the same society that insisted on contributing to this retrograde idiocy of that war and hurled them into that shit and commanded them to conduct that war actually turns against them. Because we, the society, realize that war is violent and it's young men hurting each other. So you see how the sacralization and invisibility actually contributes to uh, letting the war be there. And that's why I think we should be very aware about how power uses sacralization to uh, proliferate violence. But let me just uh, say thank you to my amazing Patreon supporters who support my work of exploring and popularizing a Nordic traditional knowledge perspective on stuff. I'm striving to recover knowledge of land connectedness, kinship with the more than human, human community of beings, in order to inspire ways of human existence and community that are less destructive to the world. So my deepest gratitude to my amazing great Patreon supporters who enable this work to go on. Thank you very much and see you around.